Lead me in your righteousness, Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice, in the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in your mouth, in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of your transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Thank you, Nancy. Um, You know, we've been going through this series through the Psalms the past few weeks. And we can, I think one of the things that really appeals to our senses about this book of collection of poetry is that we can really relate to a lot of what's being written in these different Psalms, especially the ones that are crying out to God and just knowing our church. We are a church that likes to cry out a lot. Maybe it's not very audible, but we cry out just as we're running through a lot of stuff, walking with a lot of challenges. And, and we can relate to Psalms like today's Psalm five that Nancy read for us because it's written by a man who wrote a lot of the Psalms, King David. And he was dealing with some evil people. I mean, honestly, that seems to be the background of a lot of David's psalms. He's dealing with evil people. And we don't know necessarily um, exactly the context of when this psalm was written. Like, we don't have those particular specific details. But we, what we do know is that the particular evil that David was dealing with, that he's addressing, were folks who were speaking evil things. People who were speaking evil things about him, about God, just in general. And I don't know about you, but I can really get that. I mean, when, when someone's talking about um, speaking evil against you, and I, I feel like I can understand that. There's some things in the Bible, honestly. I mean, I know metaphorically, I, I just can't fully identify like getting swallowed by a big fish. I've never done that. You know, so I, I don't fully, fully get that. But when someone talks about someone speaking evil against you, I get that. I, I can understand. And I want to make clear, I love being a pastor. I can't believe I get paid to do this. Honestly, some of you are like, he gets paid, really? Yeah, I, I can't believe it. I mean, I, I feel incredibly blessed. I love being a pastor. But but if it's about being popular, I, I really chose the worst gig around, you know? If if pastoring is about having people like you, it's it's not really the best calling to pursue. Uh, one One well-known theologian, he wrote recently, if you want everybody to like you, don't be a pastor. Go sell ice cream. I mean, just a lot of wisdom there. I mean, I don't know if that's from the Bible, but that's just a lot of wisdom there. And, and you know, we've had that share of that, even for me personally in our church since we started a few years back. Um, I, I mean, most, I mean, if you're here, I'm assuming you, you're 
you're, we okay. We're not beefing too much. But man, we, we've had some crazy stuff said about us and me in particular. I've had, I remember a few rumors that got to me. One is that, um, I was pocketing like all the money that comes in church and that's how I was getting really rich. You know, as I'm rolling in my Hyundai Santa Fe that's breaking down, you know, I mean, makes total sense. Um, just other things that I, I hate old people. That's why we kicked all the old people out of the village. I'm like, really? Um, I, I, I love people, especially I, I love senior citizens. Another thing I've heard is I, I hate white people. I'm like, well, that, that would be a big problem in our church then. Cause like, I mean, still the majority of our church is Anglo. Um, this one really got me. I heard this one room and this was like third hand. Cause no way I think someone say this to my face is that I was actually, um, how, how do I say this with children? I was, um, stepping out on my wife and I was, you know, um, getting in some bad business in the neighborhood, you know, so I've, I've had people talk smack people using words to, to attack. So I can understand that. And so I can relate a little bit to the frustration that David might be feeling. And I'm going to assume some of you, you can relate, relate to it as well. As people speak evil about you, as people maybe lie about you, as people cause, um, trying to cause chaos in your life with the things that they would say. So, so as we, as we chew on that, as we can relate to David, um, I'm going to ask that, that we see how does the evil of others, how does it lead us to a deeper seeking of God in our own life? How, how might that lead us to actually, like David does, seek God to worship in even deeper ways? And right from the beginning, we see that this psalm, David's response is prayer. This is all about prayer. David, right from the beginning, he's got these problems. What does he do? He goes to God in prayer. Verses 1 and 2 again. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for to you do I pray. And we see here, prayer can be expressed in some different ways. One, you can express through words there, right? First verse, right there. Give ear to my words. You can pray through your words. I think most of us, we probably get that, right? We, we pray through our words, but we also see here, there's a kind of prayer that's a groaning. And in verse two, that's a crying. And sometimes this is like described in uh, Romans 8.26. You know, we looked at that last year, this sense of kind of a, um, almost like a muttering, a, a wordless, Ugh! And like, almost like we got, we don't have the words to put to the things that are in our heart. And there's groaning and crying, a, a wordless outpouring to God. And it's almost like little kids, you know, and, and I think moms sometimes have this special, um, like translator in their head when, when their kids are like, ah, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. They're like, oh, they hungry. I'm like, Oh, oh, they're tired. I'm like, how can you tell with like a pitch tone there? Like, what, what's going on there? That, but it's, it's the sense that God can understand even these uh, wordless mutterings and groanings and understand the cry of our heart to Him. And we see here that David's prayer, I mean, I don't know if you notice this, it's pretty forceful. I mean, it's pretty bold as, as how he approaches God. It almost sounds like he's demanding something of God give ear, give, give attention. He's kind of in God's face bringing these petitions before the Lord. He's coming at God pretty hard. Why? Because he knew the one that he was praying to. 
The, when we see the way that David is approaching God, what it's showing us is this is not someone he's unfamiliar with. He knows the God who he's lifting up his words, lifting up his groans, lifting up his cries. He knows this God. Um, I love my girls, and, and I, I know they're in here, so I wanted to be careful not to talk too much about them because they don't like that. But I love them. But man, when we're in public, you, you would think that they never ask for anything. Like they just like totally content. Man, at home, it's a whole nother matter. And you think I'm all lying when we say how sometimes they are persistent. Like, can I, can I, can I, can I, and they won't stop. Can I, can we, can we, can we, can we, I'm like, no, like 80 times. Can we get, and it keeps going on. They're persistent. You know what? They don't do that with anyone else. You know why? Because they're safe with their mom and me. They honestly, they won't do that with any of you unless you get to know them well. Once you get to know them, it's all over. So you might not want to get to know them. I might have just killed our babysitting for the rest of our life. It's okay. But because they know us, because they feel safe, they feel I can come ask because this is daddy. He takes care of stuff. He'll get it done. I'm going to go talk to mom. I'm going to go talk to daddy. They feel safe. It reflects their personal closeness to me. And in the same way here, we see David, he's able to be bold before God because this is his God. This is big daddy. He knows who this is. He can petition him. He can be bold. It's not arrogant. Rather, it's showing that David knows who God is to him. My king, my God. This is not some big deity that I bow down to, that I just throw some sacrifices to. This is personal. He knows this God. David is not a stranger to God. And just a quick side note, coming off last week when we were talking about the Word of God and the reading our Bibles, I want to encourage you, this is a great reason to read our Bibles because one of the reasons, honestly, just let's just be real, one of the reasons that some of us have a problem getting close to God and praying to Him is we really don't know Him that well. We, we really don't. But when you read the Bible, it's not just information accumulation, but you're getting the very heart of God. You're learning what makes his heart beat. And, and it helps you to learn how to pray then. Because the thing is, you can pray boldly if you're praying according to his heart. Because God, he's not going to get offended by that if as you're reading the word, you realize, you know what? This God is a big God of justice and reconciliation. So if I'm praying hard for that, I hope he doesn't get offended. He's going, no, bring it. Pray because that's my heart. If your heart is wanting to be a person of forgiveness and you say, man, I wonder if I can bring that to God because I'm having a hard time. He'll be like, yes, bring it. Because that's my heart as well. And the more we learn about him through his word, it guides our prayer because we get to know his promises. As we see in verse 3 here, David, he's led to pray to God in the mornings as his sacrifice or worship. And when we talk about morning prayer, I mean, um, if, if you're not familiar, I'm Korean-American. My background is Korean. Koreans got this weird thing with morning prayer. Like in, in the land of Korea, especially, I mean, it happens in America a little bit, but America gets you kind of comfortable in Korea. Churches will get up for like five o'clock in the morning to ha- and their rooms like packed with people praying and they're like getting together and be like, ah, like, like for like an hour. And, and there was one church that's famous about it. They would have like three morning services prayer, like five, five thirty six, because people are waiting outside, line up thousands to try to get in to pray. So Koreans, I think I, I'll be honest. I think sometimes a little, um, 
is a little shady in, in the theology of it. Because, I mean, even I remember my father-in-law back when we were struggling in the early days of his church. He's like, so are you guys doing morning prayer? I'm like, oh, we're not going to do morning prayer with these folks. He's like, well, that's not why, that's why you're not growing. Because you're not doing morning prayer. So I think we can get it a little bit twisted. But, um, yeah. Because I, I don't know if the time of day makes our prayers more effective. Because some scholars, they actually use examples like this to say, see, here is why they're talking about morning. Because morning is when we're the most refreshed and we're the most alert. So we can come to God with our true heartfelt prayer. I don't know about y'all. That's not me. In the morning, I'm like, oh, my coffee. I can't pray. If I'm at prayer, my head's like hitting the boop, boop, boop. Like I can barely stay away. So that's, I'm not necessarily alert. But here's what I think there is some significance Morning does reflect what's the first thing on David's mind when he wakes up. When he gets up, what's the thing that's moving him to his knees? It's these problems he's going through with these people. And don't we do that, right? If you got credit issues, if you got job issues, if you got family beefs, if you got relational struggles, if you got challenges, what you, you can sleep and maybe you stop thinking about it for six hours, but you wake up, boom, it's right there again. So what we see in the, in, in the mornings are those first things that's really troubling us. And for David, this is what brings him to God. And, and the first and the main thing that rocked his world was bringing to God as, as sacrifice, as worship, in this urgent type of prayer. So the first three verses here, they show us how David came to pray. From, from verse 4 on, we observe what brought David to pray. So we looked at how, now we're looking a little bit at the what. What we see is David, he's really bringing a prayer of judgment upon these evil people. He is praying hard for their judgment. And here's your fancy vocab word for the day. Imprecatory. Imprecatory. Everyone's got a different way to pronounce it, right? Imprecatory psalms. These are basically those psalms and the prayers where you're calling or the author is calling God's wrath and judgment upon his enemies. We're through the Psalms, and there's a lot of them, right? Imprecatory Psalms, where you're calling judgment upon evil people, wicked people. And, and honestly, for some of us, that makes us really nervous, right? Those are the ones we kind of like to skip over because we're like, man, there's no way I can tell my non-Christian friend about that because it's just going to play into their stereotypes. There were a bunch of like madmen and madwomen and warriors and like crazy, violent. That's horrible. That's not, that's not the God I worship. I like the God that's much more like, yo, let's like kind of hang together and become like one community and give a big holy hug to each other. And let's just like sing some Jesus songs, man, and have some pound cake or something, whatever. Right. Um, cause it, 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 right. It's not the picture of God we like to have. Especially in, in a day and age right now where it seems everyone's at each other's throats, we like this idea of God being one of peace, one of unity, which I think he is. But but what I would suggest, especially if you wrestle a little bit with that, if if, if your only view of God is, is never about these kind of um, judgment, wrath, anger, I, I would suggest that maybe it's not a fully biblical picture of who God is. Because we have to understand, David, he's not praying these prayers of judgment because he's just personally offended. He's able to pray in confident boldness because he's praying about the character of God. He's not making something up here. It's because he knows God so well. That's why he's praying in these ways, calling upon judgment. Verses 4 through 6, they show us 
that David's prayer, it's, it's really undergirded with a deep, robust theological understanding of who God is. David really knows God. That's why he's led the prayer, starting verse 6. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful men. David, he prays against his enemies because he knows that God hates what they're doing. I mean, and there's that really popular saying that I think I would kind of agree with that um, God loves the sinner but hates the sin. You know, we hear that a lot, right? Great bumper sticker, right? God loves the sinner, hates the sin. And I think it's true. God's love is way more amazing, way wider, way general in, in scope than you and I can probably imagine. But I, I also think a statement like that is a little too simplistic in trying to describe, it's trying to describe God. Because yes, God obviously hates sin. But as we read here, God also abhors those who commit those sins. He hates sins. He also hates the ones who are committing these very um, obvious evil. In verse 10, it shows us what, what David's deep motivation in his prayer. Verse 10 says, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. What he's saying is ultimately, it's not just the bad stuff they've said about me. Their more significant sin is that they've rebelled against God himself. That's why he's so ticked off. That's why he's so angry. And David petitions this holy God to bring judgment on these evil peoples. And, and he, in contrast, he claims his own righteousness, as we see in verse 7. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. So David is claiming the relationship he has with God. He's not like these evil people. So in contrast, I'm going to pray, Lord, that you show judgment. And at this point, man, this could make a good prayer meeting, right? I could lead us right now into a prayer meeting and say, um, guys, we're going to pray. But we're going to specifically pray in judgment. I'm going to ask you to think about the evil people in the world. People who are bombing stuff. People who are saying horribly racial things in our, in our country right now that are, are, that, that are just jacked up. We're going to pray personally to the people who've offended you and used their words to hurt you. I'm going to ask you to think about the people who've lied and slandered your name. I'm going to ask you to think about those people who've done horrendous things with this, with this language. Whether they're word or deed. But I'm not going to do that. And, and my, my intent is in no way, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize the evil that some of you might have personally experienced. Some of you have experienced some great harm. Some of you have experienced a personal sting of people using their words to attack you. So I, I'm not minimizing that. Maybe you might even be enduring it right now. Maybe that was like this morning, right? I, I, I don't think we would be praying something out of the blue. If anything, we're just praying that God would give those people what they justifiably deserve. Justice. Justice. But here's the thing. We, we, it's not that simplistic, right? Here's the thing. As I read the list of things here that God hates about evildoers, 
my mind, it naturally goes to others. When I hear about people who use flattery, I, I picture some people in my mind. When I think about people whose throats are like open graves, I picture some people in my mind. When I, when I think about, read about people who lie, people jump into my head, whether I know them personally or maybe more of a national level. I, I have people that jump into my brain. I've got a lot of folks who've burned me personally. In my mind, I say, okay, you keep talking because you're going to have to answer to God for that. Keep talking. Keep talking smack. Keep bringing it. I'm just storing it up. I got a holy journal here. Keep talking it. Keep doing it. And I want to make clear. Um, I think there's an appropriate level of speaking out against evil. I do. I believe, and I think we've got a lot of this in our nation right now, when you've got evil people who are saying things that are horrific, I think, whether in our country or beyond, it is appropriate as people of God to speak out and say that's wrong. That's not of God. That's not a God of justice. Here's where I'm going. If I let the word of God speak into my own soul, I recognize that these condemnations are not just describing someone out there. It's also describing me. It is. There is no truth in their mouth. I don't know how many times I've lied, even if I'm trying to be kind about it. And I haven't been really an honest person. Even if it's not spoken out loud. They flatter with their tongue. Man, I, I can't count how many times I've said things because it's an important person and I know it'll maybe make them like me more or it's what they want to hear. Or on the opposite end, with looking at power structures, I know that my words can be used to beat someone down a little bit, even if I really couch it in spiritual language. I know I have the propensity to be able to do that if I'm not careful. I recognize in myself a lot of things that are being condemned in the word right here. And I think, it's, I mean, if you're here in a church on a Sunday morning on a beautiful day, like this, I'm assuming you're decent religious folk. I think especially for good religious people, maybe it's not always the words that are spoken out loud. But it's the thoughts that are expressed in the quietness of our souls. I mean, it's why when Jesus teaches on the Sermon of the Mount, why is that so convicting? Because he keeps laying out example after example of you've heard you shouldn't do these things, but it's actually much deeper than that. You've heard you should not like commit adultery, but it's actually the thoughts in your head. You should not, you should not like uh, be angry. It's, it's not just the words, it's your thoughts. And Jesus just takes this uh, level deeper and deeper and deeper. And I heard one um, scholar say a little while back and just, it's just grabbed me since then. It, that is really God's mercy to our human race that he's not given us the ability to read one another's minds. Just think about the amazing mercy that God has not given us the ability to read one another's minds because we would be in here, be in here for five minutes for worship and we'd be at each other's throats. Because how many times, even on the outside, we look like we're all together, we look religious, holy, kind, smiling, and we're just judging people with our thoughts. I cannot believe she wore that to church. I cannot believe she wore that outside the house. I cannot believe the way they talk. 
Wow, that's just affirming some of the stereotypes I have about those kind of people. Wow, they're not as devoted as I am. Man, if they would just step up their game. Man, he said he was my friend. He doesn't even call me. She said she would be there for whatever I needed. And, you know, she's just a backstabber. We would tear each other apart if we could see some of the thoughts that roam through our brains (laughs) and our minds, (laughs) even as we sit here in one of the more religious places we are. Because if we understand the good news of Jesus, if we understand this gospel, this psalm and others, it can never merely point to or lead us to just point fingers at other evil people. Even the imprecatory psalms, it can never lead us to just look at the people who are bad, the people who come to our minds and say, oh, this must be talking about them. Uh, it's also a deep gaze into the mirror of our own souls where we say that, like that famous phrase, there before the grace of God go I. That sense that without God, that's me. Without God intervening in my life, I am no different than those people. As Psalm 130 says, if you, Lord, kept the record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. It's that sense of without God intervening in our life, all the horrible people we read about, that's us. That's us. And David, he gets that. That's why he's able to say in verse 7, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. David knows that he's only different from the wicked because of God's grace. That he knows that his own sin would crush him if God did not have compassion on him. And that's what he's saying there. The abundance of your steadfast love. And in verse 8, it's it's what leads him to, to ask God, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. And when we see righteousness in the Bible, we're reminded of the nature of what the Bible speaks of being righteous. Because in the biblical story, in the biblical story, righteousness is not really a behavior. I know we like to describe righteous by behavior, like that's righteous behavior, that's unrighteous. You can do that, but in the Bible, righteousness is not so much a behavior, but it's a relationship. Righteousness is who you know. Righteousness is Jesus. Jesus is our righteousness. And that's why we talk about knowing him. And, and being a Christian is not just about modifying our behavior and trying to become a better uh, better person through these spiritual acts. It's about knowing the one who can change us, knowing the only one who can change us, and that's in Jesus. That when we're found in him, in Christ, that's where our righteousness comes from. Not our actions, a relationship with Jesus. And, and you know, sometimes we hear talk about uh, the Old Testament and how it depicts God that man, that Old Testament wrathful God of judgment, uh, man, when Jesus entered, that suddenly disappeared. When Jesus entered the world, all that wrath and judgment, it disappeared. But guys, that's just not true. The difference and the beauty of the gospel is not that wrath disappeared, that judgment disappeared, that justice disappeared. It's that Jesus appeared and he took it upon himself rather than you and I taking on wrath and justice and judgment. And he took the wrath that was due a sinful creation. All the things that we read about here. So being a Christian, it's it's not about changing from being an immoral to suddenly a moral person. It's about rebellious people like you and me declaring 
Jesus is my only righteousness. Amen? Jesus is my righteousness. That for those who once feared, justifiably, once feared the wrath of God, not just because of our actions, but also because of our words and our thoughts, that where we once feared the wrath of God, now we can rest in the safety and security of his salvation. Guys, this is the kind of assurance that can lead David to write the beautiful ending of this psalm. Let me read that again. It's, it's glorious. Verse 12. But let all who take refuge, refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. What David is saying is the wicked deserve what they get, but because of your steadfast love, now you protect those who deserve wrath. We can rest in you. We can rest in you. We can sit in you. We can find shelter. You're our shield. And that's where I want to invite you in, guys. I want to invite you in. If you are a Christian, cling to the righteousness of Jesus. Cling to him. If you see in yourself your sin, and if you're tempted to be able to notice everyone else's unrighteousness, if you're tempted to be able to, if, if in your mind, when we're reading a passage like this and all the evil talk and stuff, if other people are coming to mind first, may you, in God's mercy, stop and say, but for the grace of God, go I. And say, thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus and worship him. If you're not a Christian, can I invite you into this marvelous story of grace? This marvelous story about the only one who could ever look at this passage and say, oh, doesn't apply to me. Jesus is the only one, any person ever born on earth that could read Psalm 5 and say, oh, yeah, purely innocent, never did it, my throat perfectly clear, never spoke an evil word, never lied, fully truthful, fully kind. The only one who didn't deserve ever wrath and judgment took it upon himself so that you and I would not have to cling to that mercy, appeal to that kindness, believe in the gospel. Let's bow our heads. And let me ask you as you, um, she, why don't we stand together if you're able to? And as you bow your head before God, we're going to go into some time to respond through music, through the Lord's Supper, through prayer. And, and I think as we're talking about prayer, it would be appropriate if you, as you're here, just take a moment maybe to bow your head before God and let these words speak into your soul. Because again, I'm, I'm not about justifying what other people have done legitimately to you. Maybe some of you are in this room because you've been hurt by others. I'm not trying to justify that. I'm not about saying, well, you know, that's not real. I'm saying that that might be very real. But, but I would also suggest where healing in those things comes from is when we experience the forgiveness of God in our own souls first. And that maybe people have really hurt you. Maybe some people have used their words like swords into your life. Maybe you are angry. Maybe it's not even personal. Maybe it's someone in a national level and you're just angry. And you hate what they say. May we pause and let the good news of Jesus speak that we, you and I, we deserve the wrath of God. And maybe we've gotten really good at covering up with our nice external behavior. Sometimes all we need is a little prodding and it comes in our hearts that we need Jesus' mercy right now as well.
So can I invite you to come to him, receive him. If you're a Christian during this time, as you prayed, as you're singing, you can come up to the table and take a piece of the wafer, dip into the cup, and be reminded of the broken body of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus. The only reason that we're able to stand here and even say these things with a straight face, that we walk in righteousness because of Jesus and worship him through that. So let me pray for us. Lord, help us this morning. God, you remind us that you're God who takes disobedience, sin very seriously. And Lord, sometimes in our small minds, we've gotten a lot better at pointing out the way other people sin. But God, may in your mercy, you reveal our own hearts this morning. Remind us why we need you still. And let us come to the cross and let's be reminded of the broken Savior. Let us be reminded of the wounded uh, Lamb of God who had his blood shed to reconcile a disobedient, angry, evil generation to a holy, loving God and make us righteous because of you. So help us, Lord. Draw us to yourself. And heal us, God. Heal those of us in here who are wrestling with the evil that's been done to us. Again, we're not here about trying to ignore that. Lord, we want to actually deal with it in a biblical way, so help us to do that. Show us mercy. So I invite you to pray as you need to. Sing. Receive the Lord's Supper. And maybe you want to pray with the people next to you, however God's leading you. Let's take some time right now to do that. Yeah.